This morning, Pastor Julie will be sharing from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you've got your Bibles or Bible apps and want to follow along, take those out now and turn to Matthew chapter 2. It says here, pause for eight seconds. We'll feel long, but count and wait. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is the story of the Magi and their journey to meet the Messiah, Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may, too, go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, you probably thought the holidays were over. However, we have another holiday today, Epiphany, as Peter said earlier. Now, I never really paid much attention to Epiphany. I just thought it was just one more tacked-on thing, you know, for Hallmark to talk about. However, when I started doing research and found out, you know, that today was Epiphany on the church calendar, I started looking into all the things that were going on. And I'm just assuming that you all are having Epiphany parties and you've got your special Epiphany attire and games and all the things that you're going to be doing. Um, so as I looked, yes, it's another reason to celebrate. As I looked at this uh, online and doing my research, I discovered there was this Three Kings cake that's a European tradition. And as soon as I saw this cake, I thought, okay, I'm in with this holiday. I can celebrate it now. There's a reason. So the tradition actually 
originally had as observance in the Eastern Christian churches, and it typically included the birth of Christ, the visit of the three Magi or wise men, his childhood events, and even up to his baptism. And it was this feast was initially based on and viewed as uh, a fulfillment of the Jewish Feast of Lights, which of course is Hanukkah, and it's fixed on January 6th. So every year on the 6th, you can put this one on your calendar. Now the word epiphany comes from the Greek word epiphania, which means to appear or reveal. And epiphany focuses on God's self-revelation in Christ. The theological essence for epiphany is found in 2 Timothy, the verse that Chris read earlier. So we're going to look at that on the screen here. It says, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life, through to light, through the gospel. Now, if you were reading this verse in the Greek, where we see the word uh, appearing, that's where epiphania is uh, slipped in there. So, have you ever heard the phrase, I had an epiphany, that aha moment, right? Where all of a sudden we understand something or we see something that we didn't before. It's like the light's been turned on, which would mean maybe there was some darkness there before or murkiness. Well, the Magi had their aha moment when they followed the star to Bethlehem. And Herod, the other character we're going to be looking at in this story, had his aha moment when the Magi came to him. First, I want to kind of set the stage for the book of Matthew. Uh, as Chris said earlier, you've either turned to it in your phone or your hard copy like I have or iPad or whatever you've got going on there. But Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, meaning when Christ came, when Jesus came as a human being from being God. He was still God and fully human, but Matthew, the first gospel, tells us about that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four gospels, are the life of Jesus. Some of them have the same stories. Some of them have this, uh, different ones. But each gospel writer had a different emphasis or a different audience that they were writing to. So Matthew is the only one that has the wise men in the birth narrative. Uh, Luke has more of the angels and shepherds and doesn't include this. Matthew was written for the Jews, and so Matthew would have assumed that his readers would have already known the prophecies and things that had been written about in the Old Testament. Now, the first thing we see in Matthew that's interesting, and actually, if you flip over to chapter 1, is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. So it begins with this, and you may be tempted to just skip on over this genealogy, thinking, this is tedious, these are a bunch of names I don't know, who cares? But you know what? In that culture, and in many cultures today, where you come from, who your ancestors are, is very important and gives you credibility. When I first met Barry's mom, and Peter, you have a lot of Susie stories, and I have many Barry's mom stories, but I won't share them all with you today. Wealth of material there. She asked me a question. She said to me, where do your people come from? And that was the first of many weird questions I would get during my life with her. Well, she, of course, was thinking a lot about ethnicity and social status. Those things were important to her. 
I'm thinking, well, my aunt comes from Bellevue and my cousins come from California and my grandma's from Chicago, but of course she wanted to know where my actual ancestors came from, which, by the way, Czechoslovakia and German, so I'm a very hardy stock, okay? (laughs) Well, in Matthew's list of names in the genealogy uh, that we also see in, in Luke, the names are different. The two lists are in reverse order, which is interesting, from King David onward. And the point for Matthew is he's trying to show Jesus as the true king, descended from the line of David, just as God had promised. So he may be listing the heirs to the throne here, while Luke instead lists Joseph's, Jesus' adopted father's, particular line, because he's stressing that Jesus was a true human being. So the crucial point in both of these genealogies, though, is not to explain really who his ancestors were. It was really to explain something about his very character. So our first point here, because this shouldn't be a pointless sermon, is that Jesus appears at just the right time, when it's darkest. Verse 1 in chapter 2 of Matthew says that Jesus was born during the time of King Herod. The Jewish people were living under Roman rule, and as a Jew, the people would have known foreign rule and occupancy for over 500 years. Think about that. The Jewish people were under foreign oppression longer than we have been a country. First, they were under Babylonia, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and now the Romans. That's pretty remarkable. I don't know what that would be like because I've always lived in this country. But try to put yourself in their position. It was a very dark time. So they were under, they knew what foreign oppression felt like. And on top of that, their king, their leader, was literally an insanely jealous man. Herod was half Jewish and half Edomite, meaning he was from the line of Esau. He was known as Herod the Great probably because of his great building projects. He was a brilliant man. He uh, built amphitheaters, palaces, aqueducts, and most important, he rebuilt the temple that had been destroyed in 587 B.C. He was hated by the people because he was a usurper of the line of David and because he was cruel and very deceptive. He suspected, if he suspected anyone as a rival, he just had them eliminated. He killed his own father-in-law, two of his ten wives, and two of his very own sons. Think about what a horrid man this was. And think about how dark that must have been to live under that kind of a king who would do that. So the slaughter of those children in Bethlehem would not have been out of character for him at all. See, he murdered people in his own household to secure his position. So why would he not murder anybody else? Little children who became a threat. Before Herod's death, he even went so far as to gather up all the prominent Jews in the territory, have them arrested, and jailed in Jericho with instructions to have them killed upon his own death so people would cry and mourn pretty dark time and place. So it is at this time in history, when the world was in this very dark place, that God showed up in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Now, I'm sure that many of you feel like things can't get any worse. This is the darkest time. But you know it's not. The world has always been a dark place. It is very dark now, though, and it feels oppressive almost. And what we saw in Connecticut a few weeks ago was literally hell on earth. But when I look back at the times when God appeared to me, I had an epiphany, it's been at the darkest and most disturbing times of my own life. Seeing the light of God can be like seeing a lit candle in the darkness. Did you notice that this candle was lit before we started? Could you see it better when it was completely dark? Pretty amazing, isn't it? Well, I've had several dark points in my life, just as all of you have. And I can look back and say every one of them, God took me to a whole new level in my relationship with him because of that time. Many of you have heard this story before, but I'm going to share it again because I think it really illustrates the point. About eight and a half years ago, I had a virus that damaged my inner ear. I am and was pretty much dizzy all the time to some degree or another. Well, after months and several doctors, I got very discouraged because I wasn't getting better. I was getting worse. And I felt really, really hopeless. I really wrestled with God with this because I had plans for my life. And this was really messing them up. Our youngest son had gone off to college, so we were empty nesters. We were going to start doing all those fun things that we hadn't done before. We weren't going to wrestling tournaments and judo tournaments and all of these things. And we'd only been married about a year and a half when we had Adam. So we didn't have a lot of time to do all those fun things. And now we actually knew each other, which was great, right? So this was really messing up my time, and I thought, God, why are you doing this to me now? Well, I'm going to tell you what some of those dark days looked like for me, and I bet you're going to relate. Day after day, I would wake up and think, this wasn't a bad dream. It's still here. And I'd get up and get moving and get ready for work, and Barry would take me to work a lot of times. But on Wednesdays, I call them my wacky Wednesdays, my day off, I stayed in my pajamas and I had a pity party pretty much the whole day. Barry would go off to work and I would go sit on the couch and I would just cry and cry and cry. And through my tears, I would tell God that I couldn't live this way anymore. And I would tell him that he couldn't possibly be the loving God he was and leave me this way. And I told him that things were going to have to change if I was going to be able to continue serving him. Because wouldn't that get him, right? I mean, it was his fault if I couldn't do anything. Well, when I was done with my ranting, I would sit quietly. And this is what I would hear God say to me. I know it's hard. I know what you're going through. But I'm here. He appeared to me in a way that he couldn't have appeared to me at any other time. And I felt it just like I can feel this tangibly right now. I'm sure that you have had or are or will experience a dark time in your life. 
Many of you have had your own health issues. You've had broken relationships. You have lost a loved one. You are hurting. And it feels like you're wandering around in the dark with no light to be seen. Jesus wants to appear to you in your darkness. God will never hold your hand tighter than when he is leading you in the dark. Jesus appeared in this time of Herod, this dark time. But it was the Magi, or as we've come to call them, the wise men, to say, who is this who has been born king of the Jews? They inquired first. Now, our second point is that Jesus appears to all who seek truth. So we don't know what these magi looked like. Uh, They may have looked something like this, although they don't look very wise, but they do look like a lot of fun. They'd be fun at an epiphany party, right? But uh, another image that's a little more traditional is the uh, three wise men on the camels, like this. Although, remember, we don't know how many there were. There could have been 8, 10, 12, 5. We're not really sure. Uh, So these men, as we read in here, they came from the east. That's what we're told. Now, the east can mean a lot of different things, I found out. I did a lot of research on the Magi and the star and where they came from, and it was really fascinating. But after hours of that, I decided that your, ta- your tithe dollars at work were not really beneficial. So I had to cut myself off and uh, just take a few different uh, commentaries. So Matthew tells us they come from the, the East, and many evangelical scholars hold to the fact that the Magi were Zoroastrians, priests and astrologers from Persia. That's a religion that's an ancient religion. It actually still does exist today, but it's a very small minority of people. It's the oldest monotheistic religion, actually. Or the Chaldean astrologers from Mesopotamia. Others think they came from Arabia, which there is actually a lot of evidence for that. Their function also is not clear. It ranges from sorcerers to dream interpreters to priests, all kinds of things. But what we do know about these men is that they studied the stars and they saw something unusual in the sky. You know, there's a lot of dispute, too, about what this star really was. And I think that it's safe to say that God orchestrated some kind of supernatural sign, whether it was a few planets lining up or the appearance of a comet or some other phenomenon. We also don't know exactly when it happened, only that it was at least a few months after Jesus was born, up to a couple of years that they found him. Now, the point is that these learned men had knowledge about Jesus from the prophecies that they would have known about, at least, uh, because it was widely known, because they asked the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They were Gentiles, meaning they weren't Jewish, um, but they were still seeking Jesus. And it's interesting to me that God used what these men were familiar with to speak to him, to speak to them, to reveal himself to them, the star. They first saw the star from their own country, and God met them right where they lived, literally, right? They wanted the truth, so they did their part in following the star. And the star led them to Jerusalem first, and then on to Bethlehem, right over where Jesus was. They could not miss him. So if someone's really searching for the truth about God, God doesn't hide himself. He gives everybody exactly what they need 
to see him. He reveals himself on everybody's level. Everybody here that has a personal relationship with Jesus is going to give you a different set of circumstances and how God met them. Because it was a way that connects with each of us personally, and only God knows that. Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Because it's God's will for every person he created to have a personal, intimate relationship with him. Now, what I do for people, if people in my life that don't know the Lord, and if you are not a Christian and you are seeking the truth, I would encourage you to pray this. Don't pray that they encounter Jesus. Pray that they seek the truth. Because I know a lot of people who have sought Jesus and have walked away from Jesus because they weren't interested in the truth. They were interested in a God who fits in their box, a God that makes sense all the time, a God that we create with human hands. That's not necessarily the truth. That's not God. So when the Magi found Jesus, their response was worship because they saw him for who he was. They were overjoyed, bringing him these gifts. In contrast, when Herod had his come-to-Jesus moment, he had a very different response. Verse 3 says that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, we know why he'd be disturbed, because this was a, this was a threat to his power. But why all of Jerusalem? Well, all of Jerusalem would have already seen the wrath of Herod, and they probably would have been afraid of the bloodshed that was coming when this news got out. So Herod sent the Magi to locate this baby, not to worship him, as we are told in here, but we know to destroy him, as it says later on in Matthew. And isn't it interesting that Herod was so foolish that he thought he could outwit God He believed enough about who Jesus was to be afraid of the power that could be taken away from him, but he thought he was smarter than that and that he could just go ahead and destroy Jesus and he would be safe. Well, Herod's fear of losing power caused him to murder all of those children. And, you know, I certainly have never done anything like that, But there have been times when I haven't really wanted to submit to Jesus' plan. And I have eliminated him from my life at times. I haven't read my Bible. I stopped going to church. I kind of walked away from God. I didn't want him a part of it because I wasn't wanting his plan for my life. And I don't like losing control. I know that's probably a surprise to some of you. But um, the truth is, Herod had no control. And neither do we. So going back to the Second Timothy verse then, our epiphany verse, essence of epiphany, God made this plain to the wise men, to Herod, and to everyone by appearing, by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality. Immortality meaning eternal life. Life with God forever. 
through the good news. But what is all of this? Well, we need to go back to the previous verse where it says, who saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And that attests to the fact that Jesus was not created. He has always been from the beginning of time, and he will always be. He is God. The original language here makes it clear that all of this is God's plan or purpose and grace. In other words, through Jesus Christ, God not only reveals himself to us, but also reveals his plans to save us. And that plan centers in his grace. Remember, grace meaning we don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it or do for it. It's a complete gift from God to be saved through Jesus Christ. So if you want to know God, you have to turn your eyes to Jesus. John 14 says, if you have seen me, meaning Jesus, you have seen the Father. So you see, if you really want to know God, you really want to know the one true God, you have to know Jesus. He is the exact representation of God the Father. So God appears to us in the middle of our darkest point, at just the right time, and to all who are going to seek him through his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us enough to appear to us, to reveal yourself to us. We thank you that your light is brighter than any darkness and that you are with us. Lord, I pray that every one of us here today would take these words and embrace them and understand them and go deeper with you in them. Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us. Thank you that you are with us forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.